Don't get it twisted, y'all. <laughs> K-Shed Uncuffed is coming at you right now. You know what? I felt I had to come in like that for a lot of different reasons. Number one, DMX was one of the best freaking rap singers that came out and he came fierce. Uh, he Most of his songs and lyrics were just on point and just came with a punch. And he was entertainer in heart and he could really, really get the crowd pumped up and all that stuff. The only problem is though that every time I listen to a DMX song, um, it reminds me of someone who's, who I played with and he was very dear friend just a bright bright star Tim Hall was a running back who the Raiders selected back at either 96 or 97 uh, when I first started kind of getting going with the team uh, he was he was selected in the sixth round really small school but this guy had this personality that was like bigger than than anything really it's it's almost like he knew he might not have uh, you know gone to the, the big time schools like in Notre Dame or something like that but you know he made his mark and here he is drafted as as a raider and uh tim hall was a was a fantastic guy he had these he had this wicked ability to just be cool right just had this hardcore look but then when he started talking he would just laugh as he's talking and it make you laugh too like even the simplest stories he was a great great guy he would for whatever reason he started calling me shadad and i started looking forward to that man and you know when i'd see him like at practice and stuff like that i probably wouldn't walk off until i'm like hey and then i'd look at him he's like what's What's up, you dead dead? I'm like, oh, there it is. What's up, man? Let's go do this. And, you know, um, just high energy, just like me. You know, just a young cat. You know, I mean, you get you, you get picked up by the Raiders, a big time program like that. And you're in Oakland and, you know, when you're in the Bay Area, you want to go out and kind of have fun. And Tim and I connected very, very well. He was a workhorse on the on the practice field, but he wasn't one of those guys who you'd step on the field and you'd automatically think, well, this guy's going to come at you. And then that was, I think, part of his weaponry because you wouldn't think he was as fast as he was because he was kind of like he had kind of like a bigger body bigger build on him but then all of a sudden he'd hit that sideline and he's gone and I think that used to fool a lot of like uh, defensive players of the teams that we used to play and you know he used that to his to advantage he was a fan favorite really good teammate and you know, I, I don't know if he if it was his house or if he roomed with somebody and then they got the house together, but they got this house that was, uh, I believe, in the San Leandro Hills or Hayward Hills, one of those. And it was just this perfect spot because you'd get up there on the patio area. You'd over it would overlook the entire bay and it was just the spot that our the crew i guess would go to like on weekends or whatever just to kick back and have a couple you know glasses of water or whatever we'd hang out and play cards and just just kick back because you know you, you bust your butt all through the week and it just gave you a nice escape so tim was the type of person who was very gracious low-key very humble a pleasant pleasant guy to be around you know and it just kind of he, he his he let his skills on the football field talk for him and I always appreciated people like that you know I love teammates who just weren't into the whole cockiness and like you know just o overbearing with their personality that's larger than life and you know and he had reason to be you know dude was loaded with talent and everything so all i remember is just he came in made such a great impression on the team but then for whatever reason things kind of just went south for him um i don't know if a new coach is coming in i don't know if his uh play style worked for the new regime or whatever I think they were looking more of a, a receiver type running back and he you know he did pretty good but uh like I said one of his uh specialties was just his ability to shake and move and make people miss and then he's out the gate for you know a long game so sometimes people just it's timing and all that stuff in the NFL but he never let himself get down he was always out there even if some uh, another running back got put in front of him he was always competing, and I thought that was a fantastic characteristic to have because people feed off that stuff. Uh, you know, it's like a spark plug. Un unfortunately, like I said, I mean, uh, when your time is limited, it usually remains just like that, limited. And I, I just remember he ended up getting released from the Raiders, and so he was gone just like that. Like preseason, he's there one day, and then the next day, turn around, he's he's no longer there. And then you know, so I had been in the in the league several years by that point so I had seen so many 
many people, so many teammates who, you know, you, you're hanging out with them one day and um, running pass routes with them and kind of meeting rooms and stuff, cracking jokes and having fun. Then the next day, you know, they get walked out of the meeting room and then you never see them again. It's one of the most heartbreaking experiences to, that a person would ever have to go through because you start bonding as brothers. And, you know, when I listen to DMX songs, it always makes me think about Tim because that was his favorite artist. When DMX came out, he would he would sit on the bus on our way to a game or whatever and just rip out DMX lyrics left and right. It was and it was almost like he was in uh, up on stage with DMX just tearing it up, you know. And it was just a pleasant pleasant experience. I started listening to DMX after that cuz I'm just like he was like, "Your dad dad, listen to this. Look at this lyrics, man. Listen to this." Oh! And it was just like, "Wow." And I was like, "Yeah, you're right. He killed it on that one." Then I started listening to DMX and, you know, I've always made it a point since then to always have at least a couple DMX songs on whatever mix I got going on just because he was just he's one of those rap artists that could just get you going and especially get you ready for a football game you know so that carried on over even though Tim was no longer on the team that carried over with me I, I would always continue to listen to DMX and uh, that would pump me up all of a sudden, one day we're in in the meeting rooms. I just remember everybody piling on in, and, and we were back in Alameda at that time. And I remember us found in the, the like this theater setting type of meeting room. It was cool, nice open space, and just well, you know, designed room and everything. And everybody kind of you you weren't like so close to each other, but the seats were connected. And then so you it, the linemen would sit down at, down to the front to the right. The receivers would sit behind them over in the left in the back was the defense. And so I would always, prior to that, remember seeing um, Tim, he would be right there too, clowning around everybody. But then when the coaches, you know, the head coach at the time, would they come in, then everybody would whip into shape. So I would always remember having those good old times. But this particular time, he was he was he had already been cut. But when the coach walked in, he had this extremely somber look on his face. It was Coach Gruden, and he let us know that Tim had gotten shot and killed out in Kansas City. And it was the most shocking moment I think I've, I can recall in a while because we were all just vibrant and happy and like, okay, let's do this, you know. I mean, people were really ready for the day, you know. Let's get going and stuff. And then it, we immediately keyed on the look on Gruden's face and he was like sullen, like you would not believe. And then when he told us what happened, it was like, it was unreal to hear that information. I mean, it was almost like Tim was just in this meeting room like a minute ago and he went to the bathroom and then all of a sudden we're hearing he got shot and killed. No way, his spirit is right here with us. And it was just, it was mind blowing. Um, and especially hearing how he died, it wasn't like a you know, natural occurrence, obviously, young, young man, but he had gotten shot and killed when he went back home to Kansas City. And you read it in the paper, it was all in the news, all that stuff later on that day. And all I remember seeing was this incredibly, he was a handsome dude anyway, but with this with this booming, like this slick in his in his grin, but just let you know that, hey, you know what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be around for a while, you know, and I'm gonna make I'm gonna make it big in this world. He just had that look about himself. And that's the picture that was on the news or whatever, and just it just didn't make sense. There was just no way to make sense out of it you know if you google uh, tim hall it's like 24 years ago now a long time ago and it and it sounds like it's still an unsolved murder but it was basically um we don't know if it was a case of mistaken identity but he went back home to the kansas city where he's from he's hanging out in a car or it was mixed stories but we didn't know exactly but basically he was hanging out with a friend of his and all of a sudden somebody came into the house or somebody came out into the car and shot and killed Tim and everybody speculates that they thought he was somebody else. So Tim was basically in the wrong place at the wrong time. So obviously, you know, you can no one can ever predict the future, but part of me is mad because of the fact of just had he not been released he would have been right there with us and safe and sound. He wouldn't have been back home trying to find a new team. So, you know, it's one of those things that's just very hurtful. I can't stop listening to DMX because of what it means, but then every time I listen to DMX, I can't stop thinking of Tim. And it's just, it's one of those things. So I, I wanted to dedicate this uh, podcast to those who I met during my time with the Raiders 
and um, just kind of kind of won me over big time with these fantastic personalities that these people have. And um, you would think that they would be untouchable because they're so young, they're so energetic, they're so like warm and just kind of like happy and all that stuff. But the way the world is set up that no one is uh, immune to mortality. Another guy who I played with who came from just like nowhere, all of a sudden the Raiders signed this big name, big body safety by the name of Mr. Eric Turner. And you know, I actually couldn't wait to see this guy in person because of everything I had heard about him. You know, just a former Brown and just a stud on all levels, you know. And I was the type of player who, you know, I mean, he grew up knowing about the Ronnie Lotts and all that stuff and, and uh, those type of players who were just ballers and everything. And, you know, this particular person who they just signed was supposed to be on that level and I needed to see him. So when I finally saw this person in real life, Mr. Eric Turner, he was a big old strong safety, just a just a muscle-bound like Herkley type dude, man, with the neck that's just like massive, but just again, same warm smile. A lot of it was maybe it's because he was happy, you know, I mean, Cleveland is what it is, man. You know, it's not like people are jumping up and down to be playing for the Cleveland Browns, man. I'm not clowning anybody, but well, at that time, you know, that was during the kind of the tail end of the Cleveland Browns and stuff because uh, they actually left that next year and then they went to Baltimore. So it was, it was like, you can tell Doomsday was kind of coming for Cleveland. So a lot of people were trying to get out of there anyway, so but maybe that's what it was. He was just happy to be at a, in a program that was so well-renowned and playing for, um, you know, I mean, the great mystique of the Raiders, the great Al Davis, everything about the Raider Nation was booming at that time. They had just come back to uh, o uh, Oakland from L.A., so the energy level was off the charts. And now he's playing in this fantastic uniform that uh, just stands out wherever it goes. And there he is, Eric Turner. You, you click on his highlights and it's just amazing. Dude had like 30 plus freaking interceptions, all like ones where he catches the ball and he, all of a sudden he turns into Barry Sanders breaking people off. He's going from one side of the, uh, the field to the other side and he knew exactly how to set up his lead blockers, you know, how to choreograph them. Okay, hey, uh, you know, veer off left and then he cut right off that, that player's butt and then you know, shake and do some more spinning and stuff. And then he's going around this guy almost like it was almost like he had like this super shield around him that you couldn't see how he kept making people miss was unbelievable. And he would make these catches and his interceptions just almost like at the perfect time where the momentum needed to shift in our favor. He had this uh, very confident demeanor about himself that wasn't cocky, but very confident. And in this look like when you put your game face on and his eyes was just was like locked in man and you know I really felt bad for the people who had to go up against him because he just was that good of a football player I got a chance obviously to, to get to know him outside of playing um, on our playing rides home I had a Jeff George was my uh, partner in spades and that was the that was the next big competition you know I mean after the game you go up there and destroy whoever you were playing against and stuff then all of a sudden the next big competition was uh, who was going to win the battle on the sp of spades on the plane ride home. And, you know, so Jeff, George and I, we had, for whatever reason, we just connected. We, you know, this dude loved me. And, you know, I mean, uh, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So I would think a lot of other people wanted to be his partner in spades. But I said, yeah, let's do this. That's Jeff George, man. You know, I remember him back in Illinois and we partnered up on spades and we just started destroying people just killing people. It was like easy money. Not that we were gambling or anything like that, but it was just, just we were taking names and kicking people towards the back of the plane just all in one kick. And it was just like, and then it was next. The next group would come on, bam, bam, you know, get them out of there too. Uh, so we we were feeling really good about ourselves. And then we go up against Eric Turner, and um, I can't remember who his partner was, but this was the epic battle of all battles on the Spades playing field. You know, it went all the way to that last hand, and my butt had, a, what did I have? I had two big cards. I had the big joker, I had the big joker, and uh, either a king or something like that. And it came down to my play. 
And it, and it all went down to if I played one card wrong, then then Eric was going to be right there to snap it up. Or if I played it right, then and we were going to take both books and we were going to win. So and everybody knew that. So everybody in the plane, even the people who were sleeping, woke up because it was so loud because it came down to that last hand. And everybody was circulating around us and sitting, sitting around us and just kind of like in tune to what was going on. Eric, ah, to this day, I'm so mad at him. I let him get in my head, guys, so bad. He's like, man, you study long, study wrong, I guess is what he was, he was saying. And, you know, just just being all in my face, trash, trash talking the way he does like his uh, tight ends or the other receivers he faces and stuff out there in the field. And this dude got in my head and I just overthought it. And I'm just, if I play this now, oh, he's going to take it or it's not going to, or I'm going to mess it up. And I played the wrong card. I threw the king out there first. And then he had a card that I didn't think he had and he took mine. And then so my joker didn't even matter because we were, they got their books and then they won and we got set. And in the story, they all, all his defensive boys all high fived each other and they like they did, like we did them, booted us out, out of there in the back. And I just remember that look of just pure disgust that Jeff George gave me. He was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> Cause we were, it was so comfortable. We got everything. I mean, we were getting the best food, you know, the more games you won for whatever reason, you're getting all these trinkets and all these gifts and stuff like that. You know, uh, <laughs> the other team, the other teammates would come up to you with all this like the accolades and praise and stuff like that ones who weren't even really talking to you before all were just like just chest bumping you now oh man because of because that spades forum was very very important to a person and a player's status and i just screwed it up mr turner man you got in my head i was so bad but afterwards we hugged and all that stuff he's like man i i'm sorry man i didn't mean to do that to you i'm like it's all right man we had that type of relationship, you know, everybody really on that team. The the camaraderie on our on our team at that time was booming. Eric Turner was one of the main leaders. We had some great, great leaders on our team at that time. And um, so I, I remember we would be in the locker room and everybody's cracking jokes and stuff like that. And one particular time uh, when the uh, Raiders played Buffalo, uh, Eric kind of, there was a running back coming. I like it was so while ago. I can't remember which who the running back was, but a running back was coming through the through the line, and he, <laughs> he had shaken everybody else. And it was a straight pop beeline straight at Eric. And if if he shook Eric, then he was going for a touchdown. And but the way Eric went up there to kind of like get prepared for the tackle, Eric his feet got planet wrong or whatever and this running back just put his shoulders down and went boom and just put the helmet right into eric's chest and just knocked him back about five feet and eric did everything he could to hold on but his feet were off the turf and he got he got bulldozed backwards running back ran him over and he was gone and everybody just looked in shock there you know obviously the crowds like cheering because 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 what they just saw and we're in shock, like, whoa, wow, he just got pontooned. <laughs> and um, we were just weren't used to seeing that. So I remember like later that, that week, Eric was playing around and he was coming, came out of the, uh, around the corner, getting ready. It was uh, break time and everything in the locker room. And he just playfully knocked the, the trash can in our, in our locker room kind of sideways and it almost fell over and everything. And it was, he was just being funny. And I jumped up and I said, man, you didn't have to do that. We were at the Buffalo game. We saw it ourselves. And everybody started laughing <laughs> because how he did the buck, how he did the trash can was exactly what happened to him. And, um, you know, he laughed. It was one of those things where everybody just got along and just, just, uh, we were brothers and it was a lot of it because we fed off guys like our leaders, our team leaders, people like Eric Turner were just fantastic people. You know, they came from big time uh, programs from UCLA, well-known and just dominated there. Then, you know, got drafted really high. Maybe I think it's like six overall. And then his highlight films as, as a rookie in his first years in the league were just off the charts. And so and he was a well-respected man. You know, um, unfortunately, just something turned. I, and it was like really weird because again, like Tim, one minute he's there and then the next minute he's not. And now all of a sudden he's not at training camp or anything like that. 
And people were who knew him were kind of disappointed in him because he's such a team leader and he, he was not a selfish player by any means, but here he is holding out like we were being told. We just, he wasn't there at camp. So everybody was complaining about why is this guy sitting out? Does he want a big contract or something like that, extension or something like that? And no one really, really knew. So, you know, a mandatory mini camps basically that we would have and he wouldn't show up. You'd have him during the off season to get ready for uh, the next phase, then the draft, then you'd have another mini camp, and then uh, just to get your team all in together to get to know each other. And all these different camps were mini camps were coming and going, and Eric was nowhere to be found. I didn't know at the time why he was not at the training camps or the mini camps was because he had a serious health issue and and I didn't start putting it together until real reasoning was starting to come out. And then I started remembering times when I would see Eric sitting um, kind of like cramped over or, or kind of slouched over on the training on the training table and there's trainers around him and it's not like they were taping his ankles. It's not like he was anything other than they were just looking over him. They weren't like having him push down on something or, you know, they weren't checking his legs. They weren't anything. So I'm just, okay, maybe he's just, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to talk him into kind of, you know, getting his spirits up. I have no clue what, what was going on at that time. But I just remember he was asking questions like, why? Why is this happening? And then the, then uh, the trainers, you would hear him say something like, well, it could be a, it could be gastric. It could be gas. It could be something and all these, just, just to kind of, Jesus concerns, but everything I heard just went over my head because it didn't sound like it was anything major just because of the, the appearance of it all. It didn't look major at all. So, you know, I just, you know, crack some more jokes and stuff like that. And he'd laugh and stuff. And I feel horrible about it now because at that time, he was actually voicing his concerns about the stomach pains he was ha experiencing. And he didn't have an answer for it. No one else knew why he was either having an upset stomach or whatever, uh, or could keep food down. I don't know exactly what he had said to make them to make the conversation start up, but I just know now that he was trying to explain to him to them the symptoms he was experiencing. And you know, and it was just that was the beginning stages of our organization, kind of knowing that something's not right here. We've got to probably start doing testing or whatever. And then I'm quite sure that they started doing testing, and then you know, as that progressed and everything the situation got worse but no one knew what was going on and and then like I said all of a sudden Eric was no longer there at the training camps and stuff and, and it wasn't until like uh, later on into the seat as the season was starting that um, one of the defensive coordinators his defensive coordinator said you guys have to go there like and you need to go see him like ASAP and then it became like why? It was just like, because it's not looking good. Uh, he lost 80-something pounds. He's in the hospital. He has cancer. What? And it just was so sudden, as far as like getting the news, that by the time everybody was kind of like trying to put plans together to go see him, but by then... He had already made it to where he didn't want anybody to, to come to the hospital to see him. Only like family, really close family was allowed to go see him and everything. And then that's when it was really, really started sinking in that, that the situation was really bad. And before we knew it, Eric had passed away from uh, stomach cancer. And he was no longer with us, just, just like that. And it was so devastating to everybody. I mean, that's our, he was our team leader and he was our spirit, our energy everything he, he just kept everybody focused and it didn't matter if you were like this small town northern iowa playing boy like me he treated you like you were freaking a, a starter right next along to him you know um on special teams i remember a couple times when i got a couple fumble uh, recoveries he was my lead blocker and i'm just looking over this guy he once he saw me scoop it up he already knew exactly what to do and I'm just like, wow, this is cool, man. You know, I'm being led down the down the sidelines by Eric Turner and the boys, man. This is this is fantastic. I will always remember that, and I would always respect that, and and I will always love that dude for everything he stood for as a, as a Oakland Raider, and um, he will definitely be missed. So you know, I I told you guys from the beginning that this was going to be kind of a sad uh, tribute to my fallen partners, and you know, I wish the list was small like right there but it just keeps going you know i played with a guy named chester mclaughlin who is a beast in every sense of the word just this massive force six 
seven probably, maybe. I might even be missing a couple inches here and there, but this dude was massive. His arms looked like legs were attached to his upper body, man, and just pads was pushing everything else up and just like, it was like, who is this dude, man? If Again, I mean, just, I mean, he he filled the gaps in these, uh, on our defense, like you would not believe, running backs and all the people were, were, were fearing this dude and, and what he would bring to the table because he was just a fast dude being that freaking big. Uh, Chester McLaughlin, guys, he was a fantastic soul, a massive body, but a very, very big heart. And a lot of times he would, he would devote his off days to, you know, connecting with people like Willie Brown and some of the other uh, senior officials over with the Raiders who would always give back these, uh, you know, uh, give back programs where you'd go to the uh, underprivileged and impoverished like, uh, neighborhoods and you'd provide all kinds of services, food, everything. Chester would always be right there in the group, ready to go. He would give it back and uh, just a fantastic person all around. I mean, I just, I mean, this is what Mr. Davis expects for all his players, you know, even the massive ones that you would think would be just these scary, scary people with these scary personalities these dudes were the most kind-hearted people you could ever imagine you know but you get them on the football field and then they turn into like freaking assassins ready just to dominate i remember one time we were getting ready maybe san diego i think we were warming up um and then um so we were all stretching and all that stuff and this wasn't at a game this was actually the the, the pre-game uh, uh practice that we had the day before and i just remember stretching and Chester was on the other side of the, of the line with his defensive guys, and they were tossing the ball back and forth, back and forth. And somebody on the other side by me said, hey, Chester, throw, throw it throw it to me. And then he did, and I wasn't really looking their way because I was stretching my arms and swinging my arms around trying to get loose. And then I turned around, and right when I turned around, that ball tagged me right in the freaking nose, you know? And I was like, bam! And then I turned around. I'm, I didn't know who threw it. I'm just like... God damn it, I turn around and I'm a little body me, but I was mad. That sucker hurt, man, like right in my face, you know? So I turned around like, hey, man. And I saw I was Chester. <laughs> I said, hey, that was a good throw, man. Hey, I didn't know you had an arm on you too. <laughs> Everybody laughed. All of a sudden that thing, I forgot all about the pain because I'm just like, if I uh, go anywhere with this, <laughs> that's that's going to be a quick fight. <laughs> so uh, yeah, my, I had to swallow my pride on that one, all that stuff. But he really did feel bad. He came over and apologized. Dude, I'm so sorry, man. I was, I was, it was just a bad throw. He really obviously didn't mean to do that. And he felt really uh, regretful for doing that and all that stuff. But it was just funny how quickly I figured out, yeah, let me let this one go. <laughs> And old Chester, you know, he was just as cool even when he stopped playing. And I remember seeing Chester uh, because he lived in San Leandro. So when I would drive around, I'd see him floating around in his Hummer. And that's when um, those first came out. And just he just was a great personality. I think he owned a bunch of restaurants. And he was always doing everything he could to help give back to the community still, even after being done playing. Um, he, I think he was w well into the church. He started coaching and just trying to do everything he can to help these young young books learn how to play football. Started coaching with Stanford. So, you know, um, and then that's what, I don't know, I don't know. He had like a condition, uh, a heart condition that um, just unfortunately one day it just, Everything kind of perfect storm probably came and he ended up uh, having a, a blood issue with his veins and he passed away. So we hear that news and that's just that's just unbelievable because unless I just saw him zipping around the other day in his Hummer. I drive by his house all the time at night making sure everything is all good because I'm patrolling the area where he lives his family, everybody, just a very good, uh, well-known family and name, everything, you know, and the, I mean, and now he's gone. So it was just very, very hurtful, obviously. You go um, and, you know, and when we went to his, uh, or I went to his memorial, I was actually working. And um, so they allowed me to, in my police car, in my police uniform, go over there. I can't remember exactly where the ceremony was, but I was, maybe Castro Valley in that area and I go over there and you know it was nice seeing everybody and but it was sad no no less because there was a big turnout obviously and it was just like uh, way too soon did this great great man uh, fall and uh, Chester um, 
you know, I miss you, brother. You're just one of those ones who just taught me some really, really good things about what it meant to be a Raider and um, how to carry on the name. And uh, 100% will always remember that and be appreciative of that. Um, so, you know, and one of the guys who played around that same time, uh, same uh, side of the ball was... My man, Daryl Russell, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, guys, it's just my numbers of people who I've played with who ended up unfortunately uh, passing away is up there. And, um, you know, these are like, you know, stereotypical Raider people, you know, ones where Mr. Davis sought hard and long to find. These people are rare breeds where they just, they got massive size and just these relentless workout ethics and just so much potential that they just... You have to put them on your team. You have to, uh, you know, and Darryl was another one of them. He was uh, drafted first round from USC. Bad, bad dude, man. Um, prototypical defensive lineman with so much upside and just it was it was a freak of nature that was, that they called Daryl Russell. He was a badass dude, um, you know, and I had a chance to meet and play with this guy, you know, and he transitioned from USC, that's those great, great looking uniforms, and uh, his personality remained just like you would hope uh, somewhat of that stature would be. Very, very friendly guy. <laughs> he would always make you laugh. His style was so just quirky a little bit too. He'd wear his hat backwards or to the side and he just looked, he loved having fun and he loved standing out, but he didn't like people making fun of him in any type of way. And I think that kind of started playing with his head a little bit because if part of the NFL is just, it's a mental challenge almost every day, you're gonna be reading stuff about yourself in the paper if you have a bad game where you just, you're not prepared to read that stuff. I, I, I had, I didn't, find out until later after I got cut that there were some people saying yeah shit needed to go but I just remember like for example when I was uh played for the Jets and then there I did a, a piece with the, one of the reporters there and I think that I just didn't sound tough enough or whatever this reporter wrote something I mean as we were talking it was nice and cordial and all that stuff but then when I read the paper the next day he was like saying Shed needs to go. And it's just like, what just happened here? And you just, it's people who haven't played in the NFL at any point don't know all this stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I mean, these are real people who with personalities and, and um, you know, emotions and all that stuff. And that's very damaging unless you're prepared for it prior to all that stuff. You know, it took me a hard time to kind of get the grasp of that. But so by the time I went to Oakland and I knew what I had to do, I was tuning that type of stuff out. So I think when Daryl came, you know, those type of things that he would read like if he had a bad game or if he missed a fumble or something like that, some reporter would say something. It was hurtful to him, you know? He was, he was a big dude, a very powerful, very likable person, but just like any other young kid that young, where you're put flushed in this, this mega role, you know, you're, you have to grow up real quick. And, you know, his upbringing was not in this type of level to where you have to be professional and uh, disciplined and all that stuff, like right off the bat to kind of go along with your three number three overall status. And I think that a lot of these, you know, from different angles, he was getting pressured from all these different things. He's a young kid wanting to go out and meet people, socialize, have fun, wherever he went, everybody knew who he was and he's just reveled in, in, in so many different ways. You know, he wants to have fun. He's a young kid and stuff like that. He's just getting going. But you know, if he, I don't know, but I just think that a lot of the pressure started getting to him after a while he would start coming to practice sometimes depressed and it's like his rookie year just would dom just dominate just making plays just like you would not believe breaking double teams smashing through there just knocking running backs on their butts and stuff and just running back to the huddle and getting ready to do it all over again just throughout the game it was just he was just a machine and it was so fantastic to watch him work so but like I said, he was kind of, he's still a kid. And um, I, felt, I felt bad for him because you can kind of see that there might have been some dark clouds coming towards his way. And if he couldn't get the type of support system around him, like his friends or whatever, to be able to get him to be okay and strong, hang in there, forget whatever you're hearing about, whatever, you know, you're, you're one of the best freaking players in the league, which he was, you know. 
And I don't think that he was able to kind of deal with the pressure so, as, as well as you would hope. And there was, was, wasn't too much that a, a lot of people could, could do. You know, just like me, my first three years in the NFL were amazingly hard. And it just boils down to, do you give up or do you figure out a way to fight through it? And someone as sensitive as, as Daryl was, I mean, he, he didn't like to be type of person who would everywhere you went he was just so oddly he would stand out oddly because he was so freaking big he was so tall six five six six plus just a big big dude and i don't think he liked that as much as you would probably think you know like i said very very sensitive heartwarming type dude you know who just wanted to go out there and ball and represent his first round status but as as my time with the with the raiders started ending i could start seeing a change in daryl's personality uh, that just you can kind of tell that he might be going down the wrong road and then i think his time with the raiders uh, kind of fizzled out and then went to some other team and i don't know if he was able to kind of like find his footing again and it was just kind of like, okay. And by that time, like I said, like I was saying to you guys, I had seen so many different players who had come in, mega contracts and stuff, and then just the, the pressures of the NFL got to them. And they just, they're just, their confidence started cracking here and there. And then they were no longer this uh, unbreakable type force. They were just a normal old football player. And, you know, those are a dime a dozen to the NFL players. And then then that's a huge culture shock to a lot of these young players. And in my opinion, I think it got the worst of Daryl because I, I know for a fact he was, you know, acting in some ways that was very detrimental to any type of positive lifestyle that he'd want to start living. I remember uh, one particular time, and I don't mind sharing this story, even though it's a really sad story, uh, it's an unfortunate story, and I hate to have to tell this story, but it actually happened, and one day um, we were out and about, you know, everybody knows, I would I always always go out clubbing and all that stuff, you know, I'm, I'm a dance club guy to the T, you know, I like going to clubs, not so much anymore, I've gotten way too old for that, but back then, man, you know, young, single, I was out at the clubbing, man, just dancing and just tearing it up. So um, this particular time, going out in San Francisco, I would just, you meet all kinds of different people, you know, here at the club and stuff. They weren't necessarily football players or anything like that. And so a friend of mine was telling me that there was uh, going to be an after party at Daryl Russell's house. And I was just like, you know, I don't even think I was playing at that time. I definitely wasn't with the Raiders at that time. And I just said, oh, okay, really cool. Uh, Where's he live again? I know I think he lives in Alameda. And that particular person didn't know the exact address. So we're talking on the phone and I'm about to head home. And, and he's just like telling me, the, well, I'll call you back. I'll find the address, okay? And then I'll meet you there. I'm just like, okay, sweet. That sounds good. So I leave San Francisco. I start heading home. And I just remember going, because I lived in Alameda at that time. I still lived in Alameda. So anybody familiar with that area, you 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 know cross back over in the Oakland side of the from the Bay Bridge and then you kind of go through the little side streets and the turns and whatever the exits and stuff and so I remember talking to him and he's like I'll call you back and as we get, as I get close to the Posey Tube which is the little uh, tunnel that goes underneath the bay that goes on one side of Oakland and then it goes underneath underground and it goes under the bay actually and then it comes back up on the other side which would be Alameda you know when I went I tried to call him and then um, I'm going through the tube it was just a backed up traffic a lot of traffic and so it kind of took forever to get through the tube and there was no reception and you know by the time that we you know we would try to call each other he would I wouldn't be on my phone I would not have any reception he wouldn't have any reception <laughs> it was crazy but in the end it was I'm thankful that happened because by the time I got through the tunnel and finally was able to reach him, he was trying to reach me, I was trying to reach him, and by, so much time had passed that I was already almost to the house, and then we finally reached each other, and he's like, dude, I'm almost to the house too. I was like, me too, man. I'm he's like, I'm still trying to find Daryl's uh, address and stuff, and I was like, man, it's too late, man. Let's just go home. I'm going home. And so I went, went to my house, my friend went to his house, and that was it. 
Yeah, so we find out the next day that that was the night that Daryl and a few of his friends at his party ended up uh, putting themselves in a position where they were accused of sexually assaulting uh, an unconscious female. Like I said, that was a really hard story to talk about. It was really sad. I obviously feel bad for the the, the, the victim, the female who uh, unfortunately was put in that position. Uh, it's It makes your mind just wonder how anybody could let something like that go down like that in the end it was just a really really bad situation overall Daryl and everybody at the at that party got arrested and all I can think of was at the time I felt horrible for Daryl I was mad for what what for him putting himself in that position all that to let that happen and I'd seen this kid go from this fantastic football player with so much potential to this it was it was unbelievable and then but on the other flip side i was so thankful for the you know the spirits looking after me for making sure that i did not end up at that freaking party uh, yeah i was that close to going to this after party and you know uh, i don't even know i don't even i don't even want to even think about it that's a crazy crazy story and like i said i mean my podcast is named uh k shed uncuffed because there's a lot of stuff out there that goes down that you know some people don't talk about but you know i mean um i'm comfortable in enough where i i tell that story to anybody really who wanted to know about some of the things that goes on that most people don't share um you know you have to be smart you're an nfl player you you have people left and right trying to take you down and or, or you know latch on to you just because of your name just because of your money status all that stuff it doesn't change for anybody it doesn't matter who you are you're gonna run across people who you just want to hang out with you just because who you are but you still cannot let what happened that night happen in any way you just can't and you know that's when I was really really knowing that that uh, you know Daryl is down a road where all kinds of bad stuff is going to have to happen before he realizes that that he has to turn his life around. If he doesn't, it's going to be a rude awakening. And unfortunately, uh, Daryl did not learn from that uh, situation. And um, in 2005, which is the year my, my firstborn was born, Daryl got killed in a car crash where him and his friend were uh, going 100 plus down this downtown LA roadway and lost control of the car and smashed into all kinds of stuff, trees, poles, buses, um, uh, chairs, benches, anything you could name it, they smashed into it and both died. And I'm so mad at that because there was nothing anybody can do to save him from the end result. And, you know, Daryl, I know you can hear me and, you know, you're going to be missed to high heaven, man. And everything you stood for was something fantastic. I want to apologize for what the world ended up doing and not giving you the type of support that you needed. And, you know, if, if there was more that I could have done, I would have done it in a second. You know, I was dealing with my own issues and stuff, just, you know, trying to make it work after getting released and stuff like that and trying to figure out what's my next step and everything. So I, I, maybe I wasn't in the best position to be able to offer for that helping hand, but I want to apologize for letting you down because uh, you, right now you should be uh, in the Hall of Fame type talk. You know, you're missed, brother. You are missed. So, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it's, I've seen some stuff. I've been around some fantastic people, I've had some crazy stuff happen. You know, I mean, and anything can happen at any given day still. You know, uh, this world is something else. Something else. It's a challenge every day just to keep your head above water. You know, my podcast, uh, this episode is dedicated to those who I met and made an impression on me. And although I'm bringing up some, some uh, material that's kind of like kind of shaky and um, kind of like traumatic to talk about and listen to and hear, you know, I still have very, very fond memories of him and Eric and Chester and Daryl. These guys were fantastic people. And, you know, and it doesn't stop there. I have a person who I wanted to make my last person who I spoke about mainly because of she wasn't a teammate, you know, but she, her impression was so powerful to me that I have to honor her. Think about her all the time. Her name is Valerie Burke. I met Valerie my rookie year, uh, rookie year with the Raiders. And, you know, um, it might not have been my rookie year. It might have been the second year because my first year, no one really knew me. 
then in 97, when I started kind of like finding my footing just and just dominating out there and just get scoring touchdowns, making big plays and, you know, around uh, the community, people were knowing me, people were knowing my number and all that stuff. Uh, it was, I was starting to build up my little, little name there and a little following. And one particular day, you know, while we were playing a home game, you know, the place is packed, all that stuff. And, you know, we're going through warm up drills. Our receivers are having like balls tossed to us and stuff like fade routes. And then you, you know, you catch the ball a little over your shoulder. Sometimes you, you show off and you catch it behind your back in front of everybody in the stands. And they like, oh, you know, you were just, it was a show, you know, so everybody's having fun, right? And, you know, and then you toss the ball to the kind of the ball dude and they then you loop around and you get back in line. You go back the other way. It was a, playing for the Oakland Raiders and preparing for the game was one of the best moments of my life. Looking up there for all that beautiful, beautiful silver and black, those Raider fans just decorated to and just very scary looking, but not to us, but to the opposition. To us, it was the most warming sight and comfortable, uh, comforting sight you could ever see, <laughs> actually, those fans. And, you know, it was fantastic. And, and it just the environment was so loud. You know, even games when it wasn't packed, you'd be, there'd be like 45,000 fans there. And it was so loud, you could not hear because those fans were so dedicated and loving their team. It was it was it was a fantastic feeling. This particular time, as I'm warming up, I look up after catching one of the, the balls being thrown to me, and I look down in the black hole, and I see this long brown-haired girl, and she's sitting kind of in the front row, and she has a silver and black, uh, you know, black um, home jersey, and I see it, the number 84, and I'm so oh, okay, that's cool. Um, and then that just kind of, I took a quick glimpse and stuff. I just recognized number 84, obviously. Uh, so then I come back around, another pass is going the other way and all that stuff. And I look again and now she's standing and she's cheering and she's turning around and she's trying to cheer, you know, joining in the cheers of the other, the people behind her. And now I'm looking, I'm like, wait a minute, that's shed. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, I think that's my number and that's my Jersey. So I kind of you know, kind of pretended like the ball kind of came out of my hands. I w walked a little bit further out of the line to kind of look again. I'm like, hell yeah, that's my jersey. That's me. It was my first shed jersey that I had seen ever. And I was like, like, boom, wow, it's on, guys. It's on. Look, man. I'm pointing her out and all that stuff. And I said, um, I asked one of the guys who was shuffling the balls here back and forth and stuff. And I said, Graham, let me have one of those. And he did, he tossed it to me, and I ran it over there to her, and I said, hey, hey. She's like, oh, Katie said, Katie said. I'm like, hey, this is for you. And she's like, what? No way. And everybody, all the uh, silver and black fans, the Raider Nation boys and girls are all like cheering, and they're high-fiving me, they're high-fiving her, and I put it up there for her. She grabbed it, and she held it like it was like a little baby, and it was like, oh, it was the best moment ever. And we we high-fived, and I, I'm sure we gave each other a hug, and she wished me luck and all that stuff, and I went back out there, got back in line and all that stuff. And she was there with a 84 shed jersey, from that point on, on all the home games, and if there was a away game, she was always there with a number 84 shed jersey, big old smile on her face. And I, every time I saw her, it was always the same feeling. We get like, hey, my God, oh my, here you are. Yes, I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah, we're going we're to win this game. And it was just so comforting. Ease all nervousness every single time. She just wished me best luck. I'd go out there and, and have a good game. Every time I turn around, I look up, there she is. And it was, it was just a fantastic, momentous occasion because it just lets you know where you fit in with the Raider Nation. And it's not like I was any big name by any means. Like you can go to, uh, you know, the, the Champ Sports or anything like that. And, and I got 84 shed jerseys all on all the, you know, the racks or nothing like that. So she had to specially order this one. And... You know, what she said was she just, she admired how hard I play. And she wanted to show me tribute because of that by wearing my jersey. And Miss Valerie just didn't stop there. Every time, uh, she would always invite me to like some of the Raider black hole events and stuff like that. Uh, I'd go there and I'd talk and uh, to all the other Raider fans and stuff. Uh, the booster clubs that they would have, the silver and black booster clubs. And I 
I'd talk to the guys and girls there in the stands. They'd ask questions, and we'd have really, really good time. It was a great interaction with the with the fans. Valerie would all set it up, you know, and she just always had that booming, booming smile and just so supportive of her of her team, you know. And then when I stopped playing, I went into being a police officer. When I'd see her, she she would always just say hi. Whenever she I'd see her at a game, when I'd go to games, she'd have a, the 84 jersey on still. Uh, when I became a filmmaker, I invited her to our screening. And it just was, everything from that point on was like, we, we had a really good connection, really good friendship, and it was very sincere. And just tells you everything what it means to be part of the Raider Nation. Uh, the support is just massive. And she was just a really good girl anyway. Um, just would always be there to provide for some of the uh, the functions and events that were going on throughout the community to help with that. It wasn't just supporting me, it was supporting anything that the Raiders had going on. And um, she was just, a, uh, she brought it home as, as, as big as you can imagine, biggest heart you could ever imagine. And um, she was just nonstop and she never asked for anything back at all. Uh, never asked for anything back at all. Just the warmest smile ever. Well, I got a message like recently, like last year, that um, she had fallen ill, and it was discovered that she was um, had suffering from cancer. So she obviously was gonna stay strong and try to beat it, and um, she did as long as she could. But unfortunately, uh, last year she lost her battle and she passed away. I was asked if I can come to memorial services and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it because I knew I would have been a blubbering mess. And um, that's not how I would think that she would wanted to see me or for others to see me. And, you know, so I grieved privately. And um, but in her name, I knew that I would do everything I could to um, carry over all the different things that she stood for. And uh, so I wanted her to be involved in my uh, tribute and named in my tribute uh, for this episode as well because she stood out to me just as much as all my other fallen teammates as well. I also got to give a major shout out to one of my close friends who I lost too soon too, Raider Nation hero Craig Long. His short time with the Raiders, well his long time with the Raiders, but his short time on earth uh, is something that is uh, definitely holds deep. Uh, he's a great man. I want to give a shout out to him as well. The Raider Nation is a fantastic entity where people will do anything for each other when you're wearing that silver and black. And each one of the people who I uh, have named in this podcast exemplified all that. And, you know, I'm going to be able to listen to this podcast regularly, and it's going to remind me of each one of them. And I'm going to smile heavenly um, when I think about it because of the impression these guys made to me. I felt like you guys needed to know about them because of the support that you show me. Just know why I'm the type of guy that I am. It's because of these individuals who I named in my episode. Just fantastic people and they're in a better place doing the same thing for me to the people that are around them now. I don't wanna to get too emotional and all that stuff, but I, I did wanna say thank you to all you guys who have been there for me. Um, obviously the ones who are still here, but I wanted the ones who are no longer here with us to know that you're always there and you're always in our hearts and memories. K-Shed, out.